that's the funny thing. That's why the system fucking works. It's like, then they get the house. So then they've kind of committed to the expenditures and then they just pick it out again. And then there's the kids and then the, it's just a system, mate. It's a scary system. You have reached escape the nine to five. Please leave a message after the tone. Hi there. I'm doing a boring day job and finding life sucks. Stuck in a nine to five job and looking for something different? Escape the 9 to 5 is your guide to freedom. My name is Steve O'Ealy and my mission is to help you on your own career change journey. I chat with successful professionals who've either taken the leap themselves or have always done work differently. They share stories so that you can learn from their mistakes and benefit from their successes. Escape the 9 to 5 and join us on our journey to a more enjoyable life. You're here because you know capitalism is a trap. You've seen your parents work their asses off, probably didn't see one or both of your parents as much as you should have, all in the name of making more money. And truth is, you've got sucked into it too. How do we escape the trap of capitalism? How do you live an enjoyable, meaningful life while still paying the bills needed to survive in this capitalistic world? I'm your host, Steve O'Ealy, and this week I talked to Moonhurst. He's someone who's living proof you don't need to follow the rules to live a good life. And the best part is, he was once just like you and me. Qualifying as a banker in New Zealand, he landed a corporate job in London, living the high life on a massive salary, only to find himself stressed and unhappy at work. He left that world behind and found his way into videography, something he loved doing. Pre-COVID, he spent half his time surfing in Indonesia and the other half living on the road in an RV in New Zealand. Moon shares how he believes he's happier than all of his mates who've got stuck in the trap of a stressful job to pay for an expensive house. Why you should actually listen to your friends if they say you're particularly good at something. Chances are we've all had friends say, you should do that for a living. And finally, why being the top 10% of whatever it is you do matters and that you shouldn't settle for average. Thanks for supporting Escape the 9 to 5. I joined the conversation with Moon detailing his previous corporate life. I studied agriculture at university, and through getting a commerce degree, I ended up sort of going, when I was uh, sort of finishing university, the big thing was getting into banking. That was where all the money was and stuff. So I ended up sort of getting into the banking scene. And did pretty well in that and got quite high up in the UK and stuff with making lots of money and stuff and, you know, living that life, which was really kind of, it was kind of fun, you know, like you earn a lot of money living in a town with lots of ways to spend it. Whereabouts were you living? Well, I started, yeah, London. I did a lot of banking in London. I did about eight years worth of banking, just in various places. So I worked in New Zealand. I worked in banking there and worked it also in London. We were doing like project finance, which PFI, which is infrastructure financing, so um, motorways. I'd got myself sort of quite high up, just sort of through friends mostly, like connections that got me into different jobs. And I was doing pretty well, like it was good money and really good lifestyle. And then the GFC, the global financial crisis happened and my bank lost 37% of its share value overnight. And I was back in New Zealand getting a visa renewal. And then they basically said to me, we don't even know if our jobs are safe. I don't know what yours would be like, cause I was out basically because I had the visa thing. 
So I just stayed back, went back to New Zealand. I applied for some jobs in New Zealand and the banking system was so rampant right there. They're just trying to get anybody. So they got me in a job. They gave me this amazing package. I didn't even go back to the UK. I got all my stuff sent back to me. And then I was banking in the GFC in New Zealand, which was incredibly stressful. And I just had enough. It was, it was just too much stress to manage. So then I basically reset myself. And firstly, I sort of went off to, I had, I've met some really good contacts in the bank, which is another really important thing about, I guess, how I got there, like really good accountants, really good people that were business owners that gave me a lot of good advice. And from there, I basically went over to, um, Bali cause I spent a lot of time in Indonesia and just sat there and just sort of tried to work out where I'd go as a career. I didn't really know where I was going to go actually. And I ended up sort of just through occurrences, met a guy f with a clothing brand called Moon Rocks and my nickname's Moon. And I've known about this clothing brand for years. They're from Spain. And so I met this guy and he's a really nice guy. And then, so I thought, well, maybe I'll start trying to sell clothes. It seemed to be something that I'd be more enjoying doing and rather, you know, completely different from the banking thing. Me and the other guy, we'd sort of, we just, we bailed on the whole, he was from Spain doing some bullshit, a business that not business, just working as an employee. And he <laughs> went and moved to Indonesia, surfed all his life, made this clothing brand called Moon Rocks, whatever. And we created this brand, a tagline for the brand, which is Vive Diferente, which is Spanish for live different. We considered that there's a lot of people that want to do what we were doing. And they're always just, they're not basically through bravery or whatever their hangups are, they just don't do it. But they're really intrigued. Everyone's sort of intrigued to see how you're doing it and, and kind of waiting for you to fail as well. And, yeah. you know, and so, but there's a lot of real, it gives attachment. So people are interested in it. So we did a lot of work around creating a brand that was all driven to inspire people to live different. And it was to live in nature, have a simple life, more passion and to give back a little bit. So those are the key factors we think everyone needs to sort of do to, to live different. And we just brought everything back to that sort of concept, which has been quite successful, actually. It's quite a, there's, there's an area of what you're talking about that definitely, you know, there's, there's interest. The reason that I started to do the podcast is I know a lot of people my age that so many of my mates have done this sort of traditional, gone to university, done a job for roughly five years and they get to their late twenties and think like, mm. why the hell am I doing this? doesn't matter how much money they're earning. They just want to change. That's the funny thing. That's why the system fucking works. It's like, then they get the house. So then they've kind of committed to the, to the expenditures and then they just pick it out again. And then there's the kids and then the, it's just a system, mate. It's a, it's a scary system. But I think you can still have a, I do think you can 100%. still have a house and kids 100%. and not get sucked in the system. 100%. We've got a friend and a couple in Auckland and they must be collectively earning quite good money because they're looking at it, a house at about yeah. 1.2 million. But it yeah. then traps you because even at 4% interest rates, they're paying like 40,000 a year after yeah. tax and yeah. interest alone, let alone the yeah. mortgage payments. So they're going to be paying 80,000 a year yeah. for a 30 year mortgage. And that's assuming interest rates yeah. don't go up any higher. Um, yeah, so you're trapped. Absolutely a trap. They could go and buy a really simple house. Like I remember one of the happiest years of my life was when I was 23, I was in a uni flat. It was a piece of shit house and we had a great time and our expenses were very low apart from $20 worth of yeah. beer on Friday night. But then you end up leaving university and you end up buying slightly more expensive beer and going out for dinner 
yeah. twice a week. And... Well, it's funny, mate. Like uh, Joe Rogan said something interesting about um, houses. It's like the only thing that's really worth spending money on in a house is a view because all the latches and all the fittings and everything doesn't yeah, matter shit. And like, I'm like my view right now, mate, is just 360 lake. Just beautiful. It's like I slept by the ocean the last yeah. two days. It's mental. Like I'm living mentally. And like, I definitely don't disagree with the houses and all those things. I'm not saying that it's more that the mechanism of how the system works doesn't allow people to enjoy their life very much. And it's because there's just another thing to buy into that kind of just traps people even longer. And it definitely seems like, mate, you know, your 20 year old situation or your mates at the moment, you stick another 10 years on that. It's freaky, man. Like it's a scary group of people that are, you know, doing that thing where this is, that's it. They're not excited. And it's pretty sad. Like it's, you could see how depression and shit can get involved. Cause what else? It's like the court yeah. in this thing. And I think. Especially once you've got a mortgage oh, yeah. and kids. I, I'm not saying you can't have kids and live a different life. At all. But, but I think with the, the trap is that you have kids and then there's this expectation that they go to a private school and they, you know, get a overseas holiday. And the other thing is that I used to work on super yachts. A few things I didn't tell you, but I was, um, I used to work on super yachts, which is basically the holidays of the most, and some ski seasons in France. And we're looking after very high end, uh, resorts. It was this amazing experience to see, like, I remember once it was the head of marketing. One of the, he was Mr. Marketing. He was Americans, Mr. Marketing, him and his kids, he was old, retired, whatever, 60, 70 or whatever his son and their kids and his, his son was a dick and his grandkids were just awful. Like just really, and he was sitting and he was lovely, <laughs> lovely, lovely man. And he was just sitting on one of the, you know, the, one of the uh, steps of the yacht as we were motoring from one island to the other, just looking at his dick son, talking to his dick grandson. And you could just see in his mind how he was sort of just sad about it. And like, I realized that you know, through those holidays, I realized these people that have all the money in the, like the guy that the chalet we were looking after in, in France, that was like the fifth, seventh richest self-made man in London or something. He was a nice guy, but like, there was a lot of people that they weren't having any more fun than I, we were having when we were kids growing up on the Lake Aviemore intense and stuff. Like, so money doesn't do it. Money's not, it's, it's, but no, people don't shit, get no. that. People think money's going to fix it and it doesn't. I was listening to a podcast where there's a guy who's like a psychologist or therapist or something for really rich people. And he says that he's talking to people who are earning $200 million, literally $200 million a year. And they are saying, oh, if I can own it, like if I can get to 300 million a year, then my life will be sorted. Mate. They just there's always, can't. There's always, there's, there's always there's another always. level to reach. There's one thing I've realized. It's like. There's sort of a mental chase in that, like, you know, this mental chase about trying to, you know, be, there's always a wealthier, there's always something around the corner, but I think it's just a mind thing. It's all to do with evolution. Like the, the grass is always greener, all that sort of stuff. It's just something that you've got to calm in your mind because one day you're going to die. And it's like, if you think too much, you'll put too much of your energy into those things. You've got a real risk that you're just not going to enjoy the life. I'm always really aware of trying to be a good example to the next generation. It's kind of, you know, I'm really happy to do this. Thanks for asking me. And it's like, try to live as happy as I can without hurting anybody. That's sort of my aim in life. Try to live as happy as I can without hurting people because you can be selfish and it's not great to just for your own happiness and then try to be a good example to the next generation. Yeah. And that's the other thing. So I can't just, you yeah. know, smoke cones in front of a 15 year old or something, you know, like 
I've got to show a pretty, not that I think that's bad or anything. It's just my example is really important. You've got to do a good job of that. I think it's important to set an example to the next generation. And in living a happy life, I don't think moon means just getting drunk and smoking cones all day. You've got to find something you enjoy doing and spend your life doing that. There is always going to be someone richer than you, better looking than you, got a bigger house than you, got a fancier job title than you. You have to choose how best to spend your life because as he says, one day you're going to die. I join Moonback continuing to elaborate on his career change from banking to starting a clothing brand to eventually settling on videography. I did that for a while and went to Byron Bay in Australia and sort of tried to set that up. And in the meantime of setting that up, I got a job and a bank just to keep my income going, which was kind of a good thing, but it also really made it really clear to me. I never wanted to do banking again. And like, I think, you know, when you're trying to change, it's the hardest thing I think that people probably don't really gather is the motivation. You've got to have an element of motivation that makes you need to do it. Like you need the money or that you don't want to go back. Well, the problem is the money, especially if you're an ex university yeah. person, you, you get a loan and you've got some debt straight out of university and then you've got to try and make it work. Generally those degree jobs get you a little bit more money. When you go to reset into another direction, there's generally always an element of not earning as much money because you kind of have to start at the bottom. I don't really know how you can not start at the bottom unless you've got pretty awesome contacts, I guess, or even money doesn't really help there really does it. You've, you've kind of got to learn all the steps. And also I find, I think that especially people with a background of university, there is a tendency to get into a certain comfort of a certain lifestyle, not necessarily spending extravagantly, but you just get used to the fact that you can go out for dinner and drinks and not have to think about how much it's going to cost. And so if you're going through a transition, that's probably one of the more difficult parts is coming to terms with the fact that you might not be earning the, the money to fund that sort of lifestyle. That. Like it's a, I mean, one thing I've learned about money is like, it doesn't matter what stage of earnings you're in, there's always a limit. You've always got to find a way to live within your means, but from earning a lot of money and not earning a lot of money, I find if you're happy, it doesn't actually make that much difference. Money doesn't often do it. I find a lot of times. You've got those jobs that make a bit of money. One of the things I find with money is like, if you're working a job that you don't particularly enjoy, the, the money's the justification to do it. So when the money comes in, you, you sort of find that you're justified to spend that, that money on, you know, things that should make you happy. Like if it's the car or the holidays are a pretty good example, because you've got four weeks to enjoy your life outside of a, a job that you don't enjoy doing. So you really do find that you, you consider that it's, you, you're owed to spend a lot of money. But I mean, I've found from those transitions from earning a lot of money, doing something I don't want to do versus not earning as much money, but doing something I enjoy doing, the equation seems to work better for me at the other end. You always got challenges with money. There's always going to be challenges. They're just different challenges. And it's not really like there's a finish yeah. line with this money accumulation capital thing. It never actually, you, there's no point where in life where you're going to go, oh, well, I'm there now. I can just cruise because the very nature of it, yeah. there's always another hurdle. There's always a, a richer, better house, better thing to try and aim for. And if you've got those mindsets, you'll never stop. When you were in living that wealthy lifestyle, did you find that 
the cost of living just went up and you'd be mingling with people where doing anything with them ended up costing a lot more, like going to a restaurant instead of costing you 50 bucks, costs you 500 bucks sort of situation. Um, I don't know whether I found I was socializing particularly differently with anyone. I mean, I don't think I really found that. A main reason why I've been able to live this sort of life is just the quality of my friends. They're very genuine. They're very accepting of people's traits rather than their street address or their income bracket, which is, makes a massive difference. I don't think yeah. everyone in this world is like that, but that definitely gives you, you know, yeah. me a lot of support to, to spend my time focusing on enjoying life rather than trying to accumulate wealth or trying to match certain income brackets. If the main reason you're in a job is because it earns good money, consider your motivations. Are you really doing it because you need the money? Or is there some external pressure to match income brackets? If you're going to struggle to afford to hang out with your friends group, are these people genuinely your friends? Who actually gives a shit what clothing brand you wear or whether you can afford Ray-Bans or not? The only people that truly benefit from this are the shareholders of the corporates that own them. If you change careers and can no longer afford $200 meals, suggest to your friends you eat somewhere less expensive. Again, if this is going to be a problem, are these people genuinely your friends? I joined the conversation back with Moon explaining how he found his passion, videography. So I was in Indonesia. I spent a uh, bit of time in Indonesia having a break, trying to work out what I wanted to do. I sort of got connected with a clothing brand over there, which sort of drifted me off to Byron Bay in Australia to try and help sort of grow the brand over there. And when I was in Indonesia, I bought a girlfriend a camera. And she didn't use it too much. So I ended up picking it up and using it. And people came to stay with us and I'd make little videos. And then people were saying, well, you should do this for a living. You should do this for a living. The hard thing for me was like, I'd done no, I studied commerce at university, had no real, what I felt skills in that area to do videos. So, but I was looking for something else to do. And I've kind of got one of these mantras in my head that I think if people tell you something that you don't believe yourself, you're only letting yourself down by not believing the same thing. So when I had enough of these people telling me that I should do videos, I thought, well, I've got to listen to those people and see if I can do it. So then I started doing some research about going back to university in New Zealand. It was going to cost me about 10 grand to do this course out of Wellington. I didn't want to live in Wellington. And I figured, well, I'll just do two videos every week and I'll live in Indonesia. And I'll do two videos every week and they're not finished until they're up on the internet. And that was my education. I spent a lot of time on YouTube looking at how to videos for cameras, techniques on using software and, and also just videography techniques. And then by just having that attitude of always doing two videos every week, I got myself some really good skills. I got one skill that I can do things really fast. I have a really, really fast sort of, uh, workflow which is really, really useful. And also I basically sort of put my own standards on myself, which made my sort of video style improve. Every videographer has got their own style. You shouldn't try and find someone else's style and adapt it. You should try and create and develop your own style. And so from there, I sort of, um, did about a year of videos in Indonesia. Then I started spending the winters in Indonesia in the summer in New Zealand in a, in, in a mobile home. The majority of my work is training and induction videos. Started a website or a business entity called Smart Videos. It's hard to sell videos to people on marketing or it's because it's a very hard way to sell. I can go to a business and say, hey, let's do a marketing video when it's just a cost. 
they just see it as a cost. And then they get the question, why do we need a video? And then the other thing is that there's a lot of people trying to do that style of videos. So you're competing with a lot of different entities that are trying to do that. And also a lot of different budgets, you know, you can spend a hundred thousand dollars on a camera and you can spend 10 grand on a camera and you're competing against all of those people. So it's, it's a very hard area of the market because of my business experience and, and probably my learning style. I thought that making training and induction videos would be a far better way for me to focus my skills because it's easier for me to go to a business and say, look, you've got a training process that's taking you two days of two staff. I can video that once and then that'll be the way that you train people from then on. And also for induction. So when you need to come on site, I make a video with a platform that I've developed that allows people to log on, to be sent a text message with the video of the safety features and things. And then they can sign an online register. So it's sort of a streamlining business and it's, it's easier to justify expenditure in that area. But I also do weddings as, as you know, and I'll do um, promotions. I don't really care what videos I do. I kind of like making videos and to get paid doing it. It's for me, it's a bit of a treat. And I, I'm, I'm always pretty grateful about that because I guess I've done all the other stuff. I've done jobs I don't enjoy doing. So I'm really kind of aware that I'm lucky. I've got to keep working at it. I met Moon at a friend's wedding he was filming and then was so impressed with what he did, I asked him to film our wedding. Moon is an energetic character, the sort of person who is the life of the party. He turned up to the wedding venue in his RV first thing in the morning and was still there until the music stopped around midnight. It's not hard to see why a corporate bank would want someone with his energy working for them, but it's hard to believe he ever got sucked into a life clocking in at 9am in a suit and tie. Moon is very much a free spirit, and he details how he got involved in weddings. I mean, the funny thing about wedding videos is, like, I don't really do any marketing. It's always comes from the last wedding that I go to, somebody else is getting married. And it's kind of, and then that's sort of how it always seems to flow. <laughs> I don't necessarily chase it, but as a result of that, I've always seemed to have nice people. Like, it's, it's just one of these weird things. It's like, I haven't done any sort of videos. I haven't enjoyed weddings that I haven't enjoyed being at. And I mean, I've, I've got a pretty unorthodox style on the whole thing. And I sort of basically have a mope, this mobile home, which is a massive tool for me because I can stay to the last dance, you know, which, which is kind of good. Cause you get a lot of, of the flavor that generally a wedding videographer, they're on a time clock. They sort of wait till the cakes cut and then the first dance in there and then they're out of there. But for me, I don't care. I'll be staying till the end. It's kind of. I find some of the more enjoyable, funnier stuff is then. And to me, the wedding videos is just trying to capture a moment. And most of it is that your friends are there to celebrate a day. So for me, it's really important to try and get the people there in the video so that you, when you look back in a five years time or whatever, you can really put yourself back there with all these people. It's kind of cool. I get some really cool feedback about the videos and people have watched them again after two or three years and. They don't lose their gloss, which is another real important skill. I think I learned when I did that thing back in Indonesia, having two videos every week and it wasn't finished until it was done. It was online. I remember clearly when I sort of started looking back at old videos and not thinking they were stupid or naff or things I could change. And that was just this learning process, which has been useful for me to get here, but I, I wouldn't, I, you know, it's not been easy. And I think that's. I think that's important. I think that's important to, to, you know, to, to comprehend. I, I don't believe there is an easy, I don't think there's a way to do things. You know, you've got to have a determination to be, to be good at something. 
and it's a sliding scale. It continues to move. There's always somebody else that wants to try and do it. So if you don't feel that you want to put all your time into doing it, you're not going to get to that sort of level where you need to be. Cause I do get asked a lot from people about, you know, how do I change from banking to something I like doing? It's, it's, it's quite all well, from another boring industry. Cause a lot of people end up in that space. And I sort of say that you can, do, my sort of thing summary on that is like, you can do anything in this world to make money, anything at all. You've got to have one thing in your mind. And that is that you've got to be the top 10% of anybody that you know, that's doing the thing you're doing. If you are not at that position, yeah. you should contact the people that you see are in their position and then ask them how they do it, how they did it. And I've done that with videographers. If you say to somebody, I think you're the best at what you do. I would like to be that good. How do you do this? How do you do that? I've found in my experience, they're always really forthcoming and giving you the information to help you. They don't, if, if you give them that sort of yeah. accolade, they always seem to be happy to open up and help you do things. Yeah. And just on that, I've had people, particularly travelers and stuff, wanting to do what I, you know, be videographer, you know, it's kind of this cliche YouTuber or whatever. It's kind of this, there's a cool job out there that everyone seems to want to aspire to, to be a, you know, a, a vlogger yeah. or whatever. And I've met a lot of people that are trying to do it or want to do it, but I always see that they just don't have the, quite the motivation to get past those hard parts because getting to 70% yeah. finished of something is kind of easy. The last 30%, that's the hard part in anything. That's the one you've got to really focus on. And that's why that thing, when I said it isn't finished until it's on the internet, which means that other people can see it. So then I've got my own reputation on that content. And that really helps yeah. you get to that last 30%, which whatever your job is, I bet you everyone finds it's kind of easy to start a table or start a, um, writing a book or whatever it is. It's just that last 30%. So that's the thing you've got to focus on and focusing yeah. on completing stuff. I was just going to say, it's funny you say that because with my podcasting, I find I really enjoy doing the interviews and the basic editing, which is putting the episode together and cutting out the crap bits is fairly easy. It is that last 30% that's really difficult to do. Going back to your point about like everyone wanting to be videographers, I think everyone gets sucked into the, the videoing part of it, but the majority of your job's probably editing. 100%. And like for the things that I've learned, which I've sort of tried to help people with that side of things, it's like, well, I don't know, like there's this creative component. Like I can seem to write, make a video faster than I could do an email. Something to do with how my brain works. I don't really understand it because I did try to work it out so I could try and hone it, but I just couldn't. There's no point. <laughs> there's something about how my brain works in computers. I, I don't really understand, but that was one part, but also there's a whole lot yeah. of workflow management. Because back to that point about trying to finish something, like there's a whole lot of problems when you get bored or if you can do it in a short period of time, you've got a higher chance of finishing it. So managing the workflow is really, really important. So that's like, don't take too much shit footage, try and keep your footage in sections so you can go through it faster. And then, you know, the, the concept of creating an idea and then sort of Im implementing the idea, I find that sort of comes when I'm in the editing space. But if you've got too much stuff to ream through, it makes it really, really hard. It's another nice bit of advice I got told years ago. is like, if you're doing these things that you, at the start of the week that you don't want to do, the rest of the week is a breeze. So doing the hard parts or the parts that you know you don't want to do at the start. And when you finish those, you can do the fun stuff. So like for me, like a lot of 
A lot yeah. of the training and induction videos, they are quite mentally challenging. And then sort of, I'll just make videos socially just on Instagram or whatever. I just enjoy making videos. And so I won't do the ones that I'm just enjoying doing until I've finished the ones or done a chunk of the ones that I'm working on that I'm not really that enthused anymore about doing. So you can get to that finish point. Yeah. I think that's a really massive, massive yeah. thing. I think a lot of people struggle with completion of whatever it is. Like yeah. it's a, it's sort of a millennial thing. It's that hard part that people just don't seem to, everyone gets bogged down on it, everyone. And it's like to have a better job in podcasts or to have a better job in videos, you have to have more stuff done. You just have to do that period of working yeah. hard to get where you want to be. There's a big difference between working hard doing something you do like doing and working hard doing something you don't like doing. I think they're completely different types of work. But like I definitely work hard doing what yep. I do, but I don't really consider it hard work. So I kind of feel like I'm kind of cheating. Like it's ridiculous. And I know from speaking to a lot of people, you know, at university and stuff, I, I kind of think the whole education system's broken. It definitely didn't do me any favors. There's a lot of areas about, you know, the education system that, it, it needs a revolution. It, it's trying to evolve, but it actually needs to be a complete different way of learning. And, and like, I learned my whole trade on YouTube. We went to school with the mentality of, uh, or it's still designed how it would be for going to factory work. Yeah. Like we still sit yeah. in desks yeah. facing the teacher, which is designed for nine yeah. to five factory work. But our work's so creative now that school's so... I'm not saying that you shouldn't have school, but I think it just, as you say, it does well, need I a think, um, I actually kind of question you needing school anymore. Like there's, there's a whole lot of issues around that. I think the biggest thing that you need to try and learn is how to find the thing that you enjoy doing and how to overcome adversity. Those are the only two things you really need to work out because there's plenty of people that are really talented at stuff, but as soon as it gets hard, they struggle. There's a yeah. lot of, you know, 15 year old sort of professional, you know, very good surfers that as soon as they get to, a, you know, that it was always naturally easy for them. And then as soon as they get to a standard that they are tested, like the other people that, are, that were trying to compete against them when they're younger, they can't do it because they're not used to handling adversity. So those are the two things you need to work out. And I don't really know, I guess without experiencing it, I don't really know how you learn it. Any institution, be it a school or prison, share these same qualities. Everybody lives in the same place and is subject to a single authority. All activities are carried out together and everybody does the same tasks. Activities are rigidly scheduled, often from one hour to the next. There is a system of explicit formal rules imposed by a single authority. The corporate workplace is not too dissimilar as well. You have a boss, Everyone is expected to carry out work during a fairly strict schedule and there are explicit rules such as wearing formal clothes no matter the time of day or the weather. Joining the conversation back, Moon details his lifestyle which looks a lot different to the 9 to 5, Monday to Friday we've been led to believe is the way we should live. As I was saying, I've, I've got a mobile home and I was doing winters in Indonesia and the summers in, in New Zealand for the last six or seven years because I've just been a mad surfer and surfers pretty, surfing's pretty much dictated my life for the last 20 years. So I was just surfing a lot basically and just doing that and, and then through basically injury, I just sort of stopped doing the surfing and picked up 
fly fishing and mountain biking. So I've sort of changed my hobbies because I kind of figure, you know, surfing is just an addiction, just like any good or bad addiction. It's like, it's dictating my life. I'm doing it to stay happy or whatever. And I needed to, when I, if I stopped it, I needed to find some new things to fill up that hole rather than some bad things, bad addictions or whatever. Yeah. So that's kind of allowed me to stay in New Zealand because I don't have to get in the cold water anymore. And yeah, I stay in a mobile home, sort of cruising around the country for the last well, eight or so years. In the last two years, I've done winters in them as well. And it's just a pretty cool way to do it. The sort of secret to my sort of existence is, you know, my cost structure is just so low. Not having the expense of a house yeah. or rent or, because you either have a loan or your, your rent, it's, it's the your outgoings are kind of the same. But taking that out of the equation for me has been a real massive ability for me to live a pretty good lifestyle without actually having to pay for it. It's important to earn your own money. I think that's really important. You've got to try and manage that equation where, you know, your earnings and your outgoings go slightly in the, in the right direction. It's just a discipline like anything yeah. else. And, you know, you seem to, I mean, no matter what I sort of earn, I always seem to spend relative to it. So it is kind of a mindset. You've just got to put that into your equation. I'm not too bothered about retirement. I don't see it. I think it's another flawed concept about spending your life doing something you don't like doing. So you've got a lot of money at the end to do whatever you want to do. Like, I mean, I feel like I've traveled more than anyone will travel. I've created a life in Indonesia as well as a life here and also spent a lot of time traveling around the world. And I kind of think what happens is you just die one day. I don't think the sort of concept about working really hard to doing something you don't like to do to get to 65 or whatever, to then enjoy your life doesn't really work for me. I talk to a lot of people about, you know, I've just talked to a lot of people in general and some of the older people that I speak to, the seventies or whatever, or sixties or seventies and stuff that I tell them what they do. They, they all applaud what I'm doing. They all tell me it's great and it's a great way to live and just keep doing it. So from those people who have lived, tell me to keep doing what I'm doing. It definitely makes me feel a lot more comfortable that it's all going to be all right at the end as well. And to, to save up all your money to have this lavish lifestyle when you're too old to be able to go surfing yeah. and enjoy the outdoors as much as you can when you're younger. Also, another thing I see with a lot of older people is I don't think um, until you get to the age where you're truly decrepit, I don't think you actually want to retire. Like if you're enjoying your work, you should be wanting to work until well, you drop dead problem, pretty much. Though. I mean, I'm, I'm 40, 45 at the moment and, um, of, you know, noticing a lot of friends sort of getting to this point in their life and struggling with the commitments they've built around their incomes that they're doing and their satisfaction out of those things. Cause they've sort of cranked into it for a few years, like 20 odd odd years or whatever. So they've accumulated and they've, but then there's another 20 for them to do it. And I think they look at that and they just feel it incredibly daunting as far as that's what I've got to look forward to the same. There's nothing in there else than that. And then you've got this 60 plus or whatever supposed to be a good time. But last thing I want to do when I'm that age is sit on a plane for 24 hours and go and sit in a Italian coffee shop, drinking coffee. When you're young, that's the time to do that. Like it's when you're 20 and you can meet some people and go to backpackers and sleep in shitty beds and just not have the concerns about future accumulation and stuff you meet some really awesome people i've met some amazing people through my life doing that sort of stuff well one of the questions i did have for you is well, i guess what are the downsides to the the sort of on the road lifestyle oh that's hard mate 
you're a product of your environment. We're all a product of our environment. If you're from New Zealand, you're a product of a New Zealand's culture. If you're from Indonesia, you're a product of an Indonesian culture. Like there's always the instinct for us to be part of a pack and to be part of that pack, you always kind of should be doing what everybody's doing. And now everybody has seemed, a lot of people are doing the nine to five. They're doing the uh, marriage, the kids, the house, the, the, all the things. And so like, for me, I'm not doing any of those things. And there's always a feeling that you should be. It's part of evolution, I guess. It's just, so you've always got that to contend with, but like I, I have an incredible amount of time doing this lifestyle and, and enjoying what I do. And I just can put that to bed, but I mean, ultimately there is, there is no downside that I've seen to doing this at all. In fact, I wish I did it earlier. And I mean, I get to enjoy this country way more than anybody that seems to be living in it. And it's just strange. I just, I, you know, I'm sitting here in front of a lake, just got pretty much the afternoon to do some work on my computer here and it's beautiful. And I'm doing this on a, whatever, on a Wednesday midday when other people don't have the luxury of that, that freedom, because they're connected to that existence that was prescribed to them by their parents. Yeah. Pretty and much. it's just so like, I don't feel any downside. I, I, I mean, it's ridiculous. Really. I find it ridiculous. Hopefully not too many people start doing it. Cause then I'll, I'll lose all my spots. <laughs> one, one thing I'm, I'm curious about is cause you definitely come across as quite an extroverted person. Do you find that being on the road sometimes can get a bit lonely? No, I think. I think that, I think loneliness is because of the current age. I mean, I mean, I, I'm never very far away from friends. Basically I can pick up a phone. I can do social media. My, I, you know, like there's plenty of ways to connect. So I, I mean, I've, and I'm always spending, I used to say I spend 50% of my time outside my friends' houses and 55, 50% of the time sitting on a beach. That was kind of how my life was when I was doing the surfing thing because, um, everyone's so busy. I can just park up on the side of their house. Got there's no spare room. There's no something like that. If they're rampantly busy with kids or whatever, it's easy for me to just come in and have an evening with them. Generally, somebody needs a blowout, at, you know. And then the 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 mobile home's a good place to stay up till two in the morning, and no one's getting annoyed or whatever. So socially, those years were ridiculous. And like, and I'm still feel like I'm reaping the benefits of having so much interaction with so many of my good friends because they're still my friends and I've still got really tight connections and those people's support has been really a big component of me staying away from the nine to five or the kind of crazy existence. I mean, I've had a lot of people that, that have said to me that they really, they really appreciate the, my Instagram stuff because they feel like I'm living a life that they wish they could. I'm very connected actually. I think it's, you know, I wouldn't feel that I'm um, missing that at all. You know, I've got this little dog now, which is just probably. Yeah, probably perfect if you ask me for the amount of co uh, company that you might need. I'm going to borrow a quote from Ryan Nicodemus in the Minimalism documentary. Imagine a life with less. Less stuff, less clutter, less stress, debt, discontent. A life with fewer distractions. Now imagine a life with more, more time, more meaningful relationships, more growth and contribution and contentment. A life of passion, 
unencumbered by the trappings of the chaotic world around you. What you're imagining is an intentional life. Not a perfect life. Not even an easy life. But a simple one. If you want a good doco on Netflix to watch, in line with a theme from this week's episode, I recommend watching Minimalism. We spend so much time on the hunt, but nothing ever quite does it for us. And we get so wrapped up in the hunt that it kind of makes us miserable. Black Friday shopping mania is still playing out tonight at malls across America. High hopes of saving some big bucks on those holiday gifts. In some cases, it did turn violent. We've, as a culture, have lost our minds. There's no question that what it means to have achieved the American dream has increased tremendously in material terms. This is not something that just happened yesterday. This is something that has been sold to us over the past hundred years by those that want to make a whole lot of money. Now that's what I call a good-looking car. You have this thing that you were obsessed about, but then the new version comes out, and now you no longer care about the one you have. In fact, the one you have is a source of dissatisfaction. People are beginning to recognize that they've maybe been tricked. There is no out until you become aware. You're not going to get happier by consuming more. Ready? I was born ready. There's nothing wrong with consumption. The problem is compulsory consumption. We're tired of it. We're tired of acquiring things because that's what we're supposed to do. When I heard about minimalism, it wasn't about just getting rid of my stuff. It was about taking control of my life and stop being told what to do and actually deciding what I wanted to do. When I first started reducing the number of things in my life, I found out that I had 51 things in the entire world. We've probably sold or donated at least 90% of our stuff. As I started to move that stuff out, I was able to finally realize what I had sacrificed. I don't know what the most common three words are in American homes. I don't know if it's, I love you, or if it's, I want that. This same thing that's not making us happy is also causing the degradation of our habitat. We're going to have to give up a lot. The secret is that a lot of that we're not actually going to miss. What I found with minimalism is it's a way of saying, let's stop the madness. When you recognize that this life is yours, and that it is your one and only, and when that seeps directly in your bones, and you recognize that this is it, everything changes. Do you need the latest iPhone? Is having 20 pairs of shoes really benefiting you? If you renovate your kitchen, is it bringing you net happiness, factoring into account how much you'll have to work to pay it off? We've got to get out of the trap of capitalism. Capitalism has brought us a lot of positives, bringing up the standard of living in the past hundred years or so. But I believe it is no longer serving us. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We are being convinced to buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like. Live the life you want. Buy things only because you need them. Moon has found a life that works for him with no debt, no unnecessary spending, and more freedom. And guess what? He's happier than all of his mates that are trapped in the capitalism model where they have a fancy job to pay for an expensive mortgage. 
We join Moon back with three tips he's giving you, the listener, looking to escape the nine to five. I remember once having a conversation with a, a millennial that was in university doing biology and she was working in her in her summer holidays at one of the jobs that the you know the the degree got her and she just hated it. It was just she just didn't yeah. knew she didn't want to do that. She was a year or two in and her father I was just down on the beach one day and then her father turned up with this massive conversation about the concept about finishing something, just have something finished. Like you may not want to do it, but it's just good to be seen that you're finishing something. And I think that was a concept a while yeah. ago, you know, where that people were going to university and not enjoying it, but just have a degree so that it looks like they can do three years in a row. But I think that was before you start getting all this debt. And I think that's a real issue. I don't think the debt sort of machine really works if you want to be particularly free. You need to sort of, you know, that's quite a shackle, yeah. you know, mortgage is Latin for death grip and it's, it's crazy, but that's <laughs> what everyone seems to sucker into, you know, and that's 25 years, you know, 20, 25 years of death grip. And student debt is also um, massive. a massive well, trap it is that we get you, into. You know, it is. I think, you know, and I think we did touch on education. If you want to be a doctor or you want to have certain things that are guaranteed that need a certain qualification for the risk or for the experience they, they need. That's where university works fine. I think the, the thing is what I say to people in that space is like, you've always got to be trying to find the thing you like doing. And until you find it, you've got to keep trying. So you've got to keep trying to do that. You can't sit still. So you've always got to be looking because it is quite hard. So you've got to try and find it. And when you find it, you'll know. I mean, I definitely didn't think I'd be doing videos when I was left leaving banking or whatever, but I've, I've found it and it's very clear to me that this is all I should really be doing. And it's got a lot of application, which yeah. is great. But the thing is that it's hard. And so I shouldn't be worried about hard, but like it's, a, it's very worthwhile. It's definitely worth the effort in a life. If you can find what you like doing, like trying to be happy when you've got eight hours of every day, you're not. It's a pretty expensive exercise to try and get that happiness in the other parts of your time and life. So if you can find happiness in those eight hours that you're working every day, that's a really massive upside to a total sum of happiness in your life. So it's worth the effort. You've got to keep looking like, in, but you need to be a little bit brave, I think, to, in that component. Failure is a pretty um, negative connotation in this country like failure or trying things. There's a lot of people pretty much waiting to tell you that you shouldn't try and get out of the system. You should just stay with it. It's everyone's yeah. cause they're kind of scared of doing it themselves. And so you have to be very brave in this country or have good friends that, as I said, I've got that really helps that side of it because there's a fair bit of failure and there's a fair bit of time that you need to invest into trying to find the right thing. But you know, you've got a long life to live, so it's definitely worth putting in you know, five years, I think, I think you've got to maybe consider, I think the reality is, you know, as I said earlier, that you can make money doing anything in your life. The key thing is to try and be the top 10% of what you're doing. And I think there's a lot of, yeah. you know, conversation around a thousand hours or whatever makes you a professional or whatever. It seems to me that about five years, if you work about five years at something, something seems to fucking happen and it just sort of goes your way. It's definitely like I find my lot, you know, the work side of things in life, definitely going a lot easier now than it did for the last two or three years, which is all I've been trying to do, but it's just a lot easier to get yeses than it ever has been. And I think there's something in sticking at something for that period of time. And that's what the hard part is. 
That's why you have to stick at it. That last 30% before you give up, the last two years or last year before you give up, that's the key to period. And I think that's why it's so important to find what you love doing because then you can stick that out a lot easier. There's plenty of times when I've thought, well, what am I doing? Which, you know, I'm doing what I like doing. So yeah. if I wasn't going to do this, what would I do? I'd just do the same thing as I'm doing now. Going back to your logic about sticking to it, I guess some people would say, and, and this is a really common theme is you might not be enjoying your job now, but just stick it out for three or four years and get that experience behind you. And then you can move on to your next thing. Definitely my parents' generation would love saying that. How do you convince people to make a change from something? I, f I feel like when you've done a degree and then you're doing a job related to that degree, there's a certain expectation that you sort of feel like you have to do your time. Yeah. And it's really hard, especially with the social pressure and stuff, it is really hard to get out of that life. Yeah. I think if I was trying to think of advice, I just think it's, you know, it's just, it's the upside's worth it. Like it, it's, there's what else are you going to do in life? I mean, life just for living. And it's like, you've got to try and find something to apply your time to. It's not necessarily living your parents' life or trying to create some sort of, um, legacy out of doing something you don't want to do. That's, that's kind of colonialism, basically stuff. We, we moved a long way. We actually got everything you need. You don't need to accumulate that much. You just need to have a good time and like maybe try and avoid some of these mental health pitfalls that so many people seem to be falling into. And I think it's a very, very direct correlation to these things like mental health and, you know, suicides and things based around the stress that society's putting on people and not being in a position where you're enjoying what you're doing. If it's, if it's trying to be happy, then I think it's the best thing to aim for is getting something you enjoy doing and you've got it, you know, you can never stop. If you don't find it, you've got to keep looking. And I think, you know, that it's, You've got to keep trying. You've got to keep picking up a camera, ringing a guy who does some sort of career or, you know, keep looking for the, the way that it should work for you. Cause everybody's different. I can't tell anyone. You probably can't tell anyone. It's like, it's a, everybody's unique. It's not like there's a clear prescription for this type of thing, but you've got to keep looking yeah. and it'll, and you'll know when you, when it comes. Yeah. And I, I think deep down, most people have some idea what they are good at and like, and I think a lot of people convince themselves that they can't make money doing what they they're good at, the but um, the likelihood is if they do stick, yeah, if you stick to it, like you say, and, and get to that top 10%, then there's almost guaranteed to be a profession out there these days with the internet and stuff, you can make money yeah, doing anything. Top 10%. I think it's a really key thing. You've got to try to aim for that level. You've got to, you've got to go, you know, like average doesn't work. Yeah. I think we've kind of gone through this education system where 50% is a pass. Like just get to 50% it's a pass. It's like the world doesn't do for average. Average is a life of struggle. No. There's not a lot of money in yeah. average. There's not a lot of satisfaction in average, but you do get the mark, which is the school concept, right? The schooling system fails us in that zone as well. Trying to sort of say, you just get 50%. It's fine. Yeah. Life's a little bit more different to that than that. Yeah. But that's what we're being educated. If you look at a lot of successful people, people that have, you know, achieved something that they wanted in life. I think a lot of it really comes down to that. And it's like, you've got to have some sort of support network that's really going to support you, whether it's your friends, whether it's your family, whether it's your boss, somebody's got to be there, I think, to help you get it through. And that, you know, that's a big component of it, I think too. I think a lot of people look at your lifestyle and really admire what you're doing, but then convince themselves that 
you know, that just wouldn't work for me or that, that's, I'm sure that works for him, but I, I, I don't reckon it will work for me. I think I'll just stick to my nine to five office job and spending three hours in traffic a day doing something I don't enjoy doing. But a lot of people look at someone like you and admire what you're doing, but you still end up being the outlier because most people just don't have the guts to actually do something a I bit get different. a lot of comments for people saying to me when I, when I tell them what I'm doing, they're going, oh my God, you're living the dream. You're living the dream. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's the best thing I can think of doing with the set of equations I have. But the thing that puzzles me is like, I kind of hope they're trying to find their dream situation. It's like, that doesn't seem evident when someone's saying to that about me. Because I don't have any of the things generally that these people have, like the house, the kids, the or the, the, the fast car or whatever it is, I don't, or the, the job that's got some status or whatever. I don't have all those things, but they say these things to me. And I'm always like, why would someone say that when where their direction is, is nowhere where, where their sake is saying is, um, living the dream. But then some people should just be doing those jobs. Some people should just carry on doing that. They don't want to be in a situation where they get stranded. I mean, if they sort of go, oh, I want to do this other thing. And then they're not. They don't have the conviction to make it happen. They could definitely get stranded and, you know, they have to believe that they're going to make it. You know, there's a lot of pluses to having a job, mate. There's a lot of standard incomes, incomes coming in, not so much the stability, stability I suppose. you know, they have everything coming in in 25 years. They have, you know, some more cash or whatever. They, they have a social group. They have, you know, lots of things out of that. Like sometimes I think there's a lot of people. A lot of people want to be a millionaire, but they don't want to do the top, the work that that millionaire did to get to a million dollars. They just see the end result and they don't want, they yeah. don't, they don't take the, the, the equation to mean the work that got them to that position, you know, which is the total package, yeah. the millionaire plus all the work that the guy got to get a million dollars is what that guy's asking to be. But those guys don't want to do the first step of getting to a million dollars. So it's like, they just want the end game Yeah, and it's like, well, that doesn't work. I'm actually reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck that's been out for a few years. Um, and he talks about it as a teenager, all he ever wanted to be was a rock star. And he got this idea of being on stage and playing to a big crowd and stuff, but he never actually considered the work that goes into writing a song and getting a band together and practicing and practicing. And I think a lot of people get sucked into the end goal and don't think about the 90% or 95% of the job, which is actually getting the work done. Yeah, I agree you know, to become that person. Somebody else gave me some good advice once. They said, you've got to make sure you enjoy the journey. Like the journey is, is you know, it's a important part. Like I've got to enjoy making videos. Yeah. If I'm not enjoying the videos I'm making, I'd maybe make out a, just as, you know, a nice fun one from Instagram or something just to keep it. I mean, that's what I've been really enjoying the variation of so many different things. Cause I think one thing I sort of learned how to doing this video thing, which is what I love doing is that no matter what you do, eventually it always gets a little bit stale or a little bit, I don't want to do it. And there's always that component to yeah. no matter what you do. I mean, I've just realized that from the most enjoyable thing that I can do. There's always a component that's not, can't be bothered or whatever. So variation is a really, really yeah. important part. I think that I've managed to adopt into my, my offering. I'll do wedding videos. I'll do training videos. I don't really mind what they are. In fact, I enjoy the challenge of all the different ones whether it's a marketing or what it is, it, it, whether it's an interview, whatever it is, it's kind of gives me a little bit more excitement, which is, which is great, you know, Yeah. but I definitely feel like I've definitely got to a position where I wanted to be five years ago, six years ago, whatever it was. 
I've definitely got there. I'm there yeah. now. It's taken a lot of effort and um, commitment. And it's been a few times where I've sort of wanted to turn around or whatever, but I've gone so far I couldn't. And I'm now in a position where I feel really satisfied that I've stayed on course. And yeah, everyone's got challenges. You never void of challenges. You can be the richest man in the world. You can be the most content person, whatever. You're always going to have problems. Like it's one thing what I learned in Indonesia. Yeah. It's like some of those people, you know, they're basically just trying to find money for the food that week or that day where we're trying to accumulate retirement homes and stuff. So everyone's got different problems. Like those, you know, the people that are trying to accumulate retirement homes, they've got problems, you know, versus the people that they're just different. Yeah. So you never avoid a problem. So they always exist. And you've got to try and get through the life in the happiest state you can be. And that's the journey part. So enjoying that. One of our previous guests said the exact same thing about um, yeah, enjoying the journey. It's good advice. It sort of does help you sort of reset. It's almost like a meditative sort of thing. It's like there's no end game that's really going to make it up for you for the for not enjoying the way through. Same thing, I think, with the, the nine to five or whatever. It's like the end game ain't there. Like it's kind of a fallacy. But it's part of this community or this cultural capitalism sort of model that we all move to the same, you know, the community does all these jobs, even if you don't like them, because that gives us more GDP, you know, and it's sort of like all the commitments, yeah. the mortgages, everything, they all hold people in, the social pressures, all those are hold people in, even if they're not that stoked about what they're doing, so that the GDP numbers work in the same way. Like, Do you know that GDP is a measure that was invented for the war? to keep track of, you know, how many tanks and guns and stuff that they were producing. And they reckon that GDP was a great measure for measuring a um, civilization going into war. But then the war ended and we've continued using GDP as our number one measure for the success of yeah, our countries. crazy. There's definitely a lot of legacy stuff that, that, you know, you've got to question. That was corporate banker turned videographer, Moon Hurst. If you want to find out more about Moon, you can find him on Instagram at MoonRocksNZ. There's an old story about JP Morgan, the banker and philanthropist who was shown an envelope containing a guaranteed formula for success. He agreed that if he liked the advice written inside, he would pay them $25,000 for its contents. Bearing in mind back then $25,000 was a hell of a lot of money. JP Morgan opened the envelope nodded and paid. The advice? One, every morning write a list of the things that need to be done that day. Two, do them. It's as simple as that. Three tips from Moon. Number one, you've always got to be trying to find the thing you like doing. Until you find it, you've got to keep trying. And when you find it, you'll know. Number two, if friends believe you should do something as a career, you're only letting yourself down by not believing the same thing. And number three, you've got to stick at something until you're the top 10% of whatever it is that you're doing. That's also why it's so important to find what you love doing, because then it's going to make it a lot easier to stick with it through the tough times. My challenge for you this week is to do an honest budget. Challenge accepted. I know it sounds boring, but if you're serious about escaping the 9 to 5, you've probably got to change your spending habits. Go through your account for the last few months and figure out what you're spending your money on. Create an honest budget based on the things you need and then another budget including the things you want. This is going to take a bit of self-reflection here. 
I call it an honest budget because you really have to be honest with yourself. Do you need to be living in the most expensive part of town? Do you need to have a $6 coffee every single day? Do you need to go out for dinner twice a week? The more honest you can be with yourself here, the easier you can cut back your spending and the easier it will be to transition to another livelihood. So this week, do an honest budget. Challenge accepted. Thanks for listening to Escape the 9 to 5. If you'd like more help on your own career change journey, be sure to join our Facebook group, Escape the 9 to 5 podcast. There you'll be joining a community of successful professionals in a similar situation to you, looking to change to a more enjoyable way of living out of boring or meaningless jobs. This week, we're talking about why capitalism is a trap and ways you can avoid getting sucked into an expensive lifestyle, big mortgage and other debt. The link to the Facebook group is in the show notes. Escape the 9 to 5 is a Deals Media production. If you felt like this episode brought you any value at all and helped you on your journey to escaping the 9 to 5, please do give us a rating if you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Otherwise, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're listening on. This show is produced and created by me, Steve O'Ely. Editing is thanks to Jeremy Grater. And show music is thanks to Mikey Geiger. For more information and support, please visit our Facebook page, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. Links to this are in the show notes. See you next time on Escape the 9 to 5.